You're listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Hello, fellow fantasy football fanatics. Coming to you from Apex Fantasy Football Headquarters. This is the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast for Week 10. So we've made it through nine weeks. Um, We've had our ups. We've had our downs. Had a lot of downs, actually. But um, once again, as we approach the playoffs, let's see what's going on with the waiver wire. We're going to talk a little about uh, how Tua Tagovailoa looked. um, Maybe a little about Justin Herbert and company as well. And also what to do with the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for that explosion. It really hasn't come yet. Um, and then at the end of this segment, we'll just do a little bit of fun with predicting the top wide receivers for next year. We don't know who each of us is going to pick, so maybe we'll get some fireworks there, but I imagine it could have a bit of a consensus. So why don't we dive right into um, a maybe not the busiest week on the waiver wire, but there are a few guys we need to look out for for injury reports. Um, someone on the 49ers who exploded on Thursday night, and of course, the Monday night explosion, uh, Jacoby Myers. Why don't we start with him? Um, Jacoby Myers, by uh, I was reading some scouts' Twitter last night, they said they had him as the best contested catch guy in the uh, in the 2019 draft. So, uh, is he a wide receiver three with this performance? Like, I'm a Travis Fulgham like explosion, a little bit from nowhere. Um, he needs to be owned in every league, right. Yeah, I think that after a performance like that, obviously you need to monitor Nikhil Harry's health and Julian Edelman's health, but the Patriots haven't had a performance like this out of anybody, and I don't really think it's a fluke. He averaged 8.8 yards per target as a rookie last year. This year he's up to 9.5. He seems to perform whenever he gets opportunities, and I believe he's the first non-Edelman or Gronk Patriot in more than two years to surpass 100 receiving yards. Um, The last to do it was Josh Gordon against Green Bay in 2018. So it's really impressive to see Myers perform. And I think right now he's certainly a must-own player. And, you know, this week, I mean... I might have misled our listeners when it said we came out of nowhere. I mean, he went four for 60 in week seven, six for 58 in week eight, and of course in week nine, the 12 for 169. Uh, I can't imagine that the return of Nikhil Harry actually, this is what we were, we were hoping for half of this production we had, we were starting Nikhil Harry. Um, I can't imagine that in such a meritocracy like the Bill Belichick Patriots that, that, uh, Harry's just going to step in and get his job back. Edelman, 34-year-old slot receiver. I mean, Meyer seems to be the guy there. Um, Their schedule coming up is rather difficult, though. However, if you are going to be seeing 10-plus targets a game, that might not matter. Um, What are you prepared to bid for him in a league like Apex Leagues where you have a $500 blind bidding budget? Are is he worth a bid over 50? It probably depends on your team need, huh? Yeah, I think it really depends on what you need. But if you need a wide receiver, the guy has been good whenever he's been on the field. And Cam hasn't looked nearly this comfortable throwing to anybody. So I think that the Patriots will give him as many opportunities as necessary and try and continue this hot streak. So I don't see a reason why if you need a wide receiver, you can't bid 75 or even go above 100. Um, I don't know that he's a guy that you want to unload the clip for, but 
depending on necessity, um, you can reason out bidding a significant sum for Myers this week. Dalton, do you have a dynasty profile on Myers at all, or was he an end of the bench stash that you hope maybe something like this would happen? Um, he's he's been somewhat intriguing. Um, I mean, there's nothing that necessarily stands out in his profile. He does compare best to a guy like Muhammad Sanu. Didn't get drafted. Um, does have interesting size. Um, but again, like again, he he doesn't scream as someone with amazing upside. But uh, things that we're looking for, um. Obviously, we touched on, if you listen to our podcast um, earlier um, in the past, then you know that how much we value rookie efficiency. And Jacoby Myers last year, on 41 targets, he had 8.8 yards per target, which is a definite check mark. So for him to like be efficient on the volume he's getting is extremely encouraging. And um, if you're in dynasty, he's definitely someone that you want to acquire because he looks like someone in his second year that is um, having um, a potential mini breakout. Now he's not someone who could be like this next superstar wide receiver, but he's someone who probably has a role for not only foreseeable future for the next couple seasons. Um, we know how Bill Belichick loves those guys when it's like. Um, not necessarily he's going to be a Wes Welker or an Edelman, but those guys that are undrafted and they work their way in and they get their volume, they tend to stick a little bit longer with the Patriots. And one thing, one, one interesting stat that um, I saw the other day on Twitter, um, I'm sorry that I don't know who actually tweeted this, so I can't give him the credit, but um, uh, Jacoby Myers in the last three games has more receiving yards than Akil Harry has in his whole entire career. Ugh. That is that, wild that to hurts. me. That hurts. I, hurts. I, I was actually a high. We were he, we had apex were higher on the kill Harry than many coming into the year. That has not materialized. Um, there is a guy in San Diego who I thought we had talked for the last time about. Um, is this another case of someone just being Adam Gase to death? And here they are, Kalen Ballage, the worst running back <laughs> in the league last year. Now comes in off the practice squad. Um, we know, uh, uh, Justin Jackson is hurt. Sorry, Dalton. And he comes in and pulls, you know, takes Josh Kelly's job. Now, I don't know if this is more of an indictment on Josh Kelly or is Kalen Ballage actually worth owning? Uh, now, of course, I'm sure this depends a lot on the injury reports on Justin Jackson, but, can we eliminate the possibility that maybe Ballage takes some of Josh Kelly's work when Justin Jackson is back and healthy? Yeah, I think it's really concerning for Kelly. We just haven't seen production. We haven't seen consistency. And he really looks uncomfortable out there when you watch him. I don't know if he got in trouble for his fumbles and now he's thinking while he's trying to play. But Kelly does not look good. And it's very concerning when you own a guy that people in front of him continue to get injured and he continues to be pigeonholed in this role. And I understand why the Chargers did it. Watching the game, Ballager looked better. Um, He wasn't thinking as much. He wasn't as concerned while he was running. And it shows up in the stats. So I think that in the situation that Justin Jackson misses this week, you have to assume that Ballager is the guy who's getting more touches. Yeah, Ballage was a was one of those workout heroes at the combine, right? With the uh, not great production, but great uh, um, great metrics, right, Dalton? Yeah, he was just someone who necessarily wasn't productive, but just kind of 
caught people's attention with the way he did perform at the combine and the way that his receiving profile kind of lined up. Unfortunately, it didn't necessarily work out for him, but um, he was someone who was interesting. And regarding him this week, um, I'm not sure how much I'm going to be bidding on him because of a couple of factors. One is we have to monitor Justin Jackson's health. And two, we also have to monitor Austin Eckler's health. And it's potential that Balaj at best is going to be a one to two week stopgap who's going to be like a back end RB2. So he's someone you can fill in during the bye week. But at the time, like um, it was promising to see him put some work in. And I think that I would actually prefer him over a guy like Josh Kelly um, if Justin Jackson were to miss this week. Is, has he retaken the title of your favorite Arizona State running back over Eno Benjamin, Dalton? I don't think anybody can overtake Eno Benjamin. <laughs> um, couple running starting running backs injured with concussions. Um, the first one is David Johnson. Now, fantasy Twitter has been excited about David Johnson's backup for years now. Can we please finally see Duke Johnson unleashed? I mean, this would be even more momentous than momentous news for fans than probably the election if Duke Johnson got 20 carries and five <laughs> catches in a game. But we might be headed that way if David Johnson misses this week with um, with a concussion. I mean, there's not much else there. And if you monitor the practice reports, it doesn't look like David Johnson is playing. Uh, are you really excited about owning Duke Johnson for a week? I mean, we we need to wait and see the news of David Johnson and make sure that he's missing a week before we're excited. But what worries me is continuously throughout this Duke Johnson on the Texans uh, situation that we've monitored when he was supposed to be the starting running back. They got Carlos Hyde. Then guys are excited this year. If David Johnson is ineffective, then we will see um, more usage for Duke. And continuously, we see that situation not unravel in Duke's favor. And I'm concerned that they would want to pair him. I don't even know who the other running back would be, but they just don't seem to want to use him in a workhorse role. So I think it's one of those situations where maybe you pick him up and you can get one week where David Johnson's out, where you could potentially get that workhorse role, but I'm not even sure that that should be the assumption going into the week based on how the Texans have treated him in similar situations in the past. Are you more, are, are you prioritizing more Duke Johnson or Kalen Ballage? If we're picking right now, both, we don't really know the injury reports ahead of them, but with the information we do have, who would you prioritize? Um, seeing that we already know that Ballage has Joshua Kelly as competition, and the Chargers do want to get Kelly involved. I would rather go with Duke because I would assume in that situation he gets a bigger workload, but I'm not necessarily sure that either should be adjusted as more than really a top five running back, top 25 running back for week 10. I, I tend to agree with you. Why don't, what if we throw in uh, an Oregon State alum in there, Ryan Nall on the Bears, David Montgomery, who has been not only having a concussion, but has been the Kalen Ballage of 2020 in that I, you're just never excited about ever starting him. Um, what do we know about Ryan Nall? Um, Ryan Nall is an interesting prospect who I, I was actually like, I wouldn't say like high on, but like I thought he was a little bit underrated. Like he's a, he's a big running back, um, 234. He actually came out like people didn't know whether he's going to be a tight end or running back. So he does have a pass catching profile um, as well. Um, and Got a little Jalen Hurd to him, huh? 
Yeah, a little bit. You know, uh, 84th percentile speed score. He's got an 82nd percentile agility score. And um, he dominated in college um, out of Oregon State, was undrafted. So that was obviously the main concern. But he's stuck on the roster for a couple years now. And I, I'm optimistic that if um, given the opportunity, I think he could perform well for fantasy because, I again, he did have four targets, caught all four of those. And I believe he also got a touchdown as well. So he does have that receiving upside. And if they felt comfortable enough to give him the work on the ground, like I don't see why it can't be just a solid RB2. But my concern is, do they feel comfortable enough to give him that rushing work? Which I'm not sure that they do, considering um, the way they utilized him last game, only giving him... Right? He, didn't even give, he didn't even get a rush attempt last game when and David Montgomery went out. So that's, that's my main concern with him. I think they just more to utilize him in like a Tariq Cohen type role and maybe like um, uh, uplift someone like Lamar Miller from the practice squad and get some of that rushing work. Oh, man. Are we going to have to – first Kalen Ballers, now Lamar Miller. Dalton, uh, <laughs> we, we, we can't be doing that right now. Um, someone else on the Bears as well we want to discuss a little bit is uh, Darnell Mooney. Just your weekly reminder that – you know, this guy might be a weak winner when uh, it, when, when, uh, when you need a big performance in the playoffs. You know, again, look at his schedule. Mike, did he have um, big expected points this week as well? Yeah, he hit 20.7 expected points. That didn't really come to fruition with Foles, but it's clear that he's getting valuable targets. And I believe I saw PFF tweet that he has not dropped the pass all season. So I'm guessing that all of these um, were uncatchable balls that if Foles is able to hit him on, he had the highest expected points of all the pass catchers on the Bears. So he may be in a valuable role. And if they connect, uh, he's an option who's probably much cheaper than Jacoby Myers in this situation and on a team that the Patriots, we can't expect to pass for huge volume every week. We can expect the Bears to be down and we can expect them to be throwing the ball. And that gives Mooney a chance at matching these potential points if they can ever connect on that that big deep ball. You know, more importantly is um, his schedule coming up. You know, they the Bears had their first good passing matchup in basically a month, uh, maybe even a little bit longer than that. And there goes Nick Foles for 335 yards and two touchdowns, even if it wasn't pretty. Um, but they get Minnesota coming up on Monday night. Then they have a bye. Then they get Green Bay, which is not a good matchup. I remember Jair Alexander is probably going to be shadowing Allen Robinson or matched up with him, freeing up Mooney a little bit. And then they get Detroit in week 13. Then the finish playoffs, they get Houston, Minnesota again, and then Jacksonville. So um, for those decimated by injuries, you could do a lot worse than a guy like Darnell Mooney. Uh, Dalton, why don't you wax poetic for us about the Thursday night hero, the 49ers, Richie James. What do you know about him? Oh my God, I love Richie James. I'm glad. I'm glad we even get a touch a little bit on Richie James. Middle Tennessee um, State, right? Middle Tennessee State. You know, uh, one interesting thing about Richie James is um, he, he, for me, has just been some guy that has been very good at every point all the way up until college, and even in the pros as well. And he just has been waiting for an opportunity. Necessarily hasn't had it um, with them drafting Debo Samuel. Um, and then they got Ayuk and then they got Kittle there. But now with all three of those good, all three of those guys out, as well as a guy like Kendrick Bourne who was playing ahead of him, he finally got his opportunity to shine. Thirteen targets, nine receptions, one hundred eighty-four yards. Now 
that is obviously a massive performance. And I was looking at um, wide receivers within their first three years to have 180 yards in a game. And there's only like, he's a 31st player to do that. And every single one of, or every single one of those players had at least one season with over 200 PPR points. So again, um, I think it's just more a promising sign from like a dynasty aspect of like, wow, this guy can do it. It's just more of like, when is he going to get the opportunity to potentially do that? And another thing about his profile as well is not only that um, he did it this year, but um, he's been efficient all three of his years so far, which is obviously what we're looking for potentially in later breakouts in the career, fourth, fifth year breakout, breakouts. Um, a high majority of them are efficient in either three or four of their years or four or four of the years. So he's definitely trending in that way to potentially be one of those guys. And if we look at his college profile, going back even further, as a true freshman at uh, Middle Tennessee State, he had 107 receptions, 1,334 yards, and eight touchdowns as a true freshman in college. That is absolutely insane. That's one of the best true freshman seasons of all time in college. So for, for college profile, we're looking at breakout age and um that just absolutely checks one of the massive boxes there so um a lot of promising things to richie james from a dynasty perspective and for redraft he's just someone that like if you you want to be monitoring what's going on with kendrick Bourne and iuke and when debo's coming back um i'm not overly optimistic about his his opportunity in the media future i'm going to add him as a stash but again i really want to wait and see to see if he actually can get opportunity before i fully dive into him in a redraft perspective you know, with, with Richie James, I actually think there's a little more optimism for redraft than appears. Uh, number one is that this Niners defense is not what it used to be. Um, and of course, they've been decimated with injuries. Now, they're not terrible, but they're much better against the run than they are against the pass. Um, and as they get healthy, that might become a concern. But uh, so they're going to have to be, they're going to have to put up points in order to win games. Number two is the whole narrative that, you know, maybe he's a second stringer with Nick Mullins. They probably have a pretty good rapport from being on the second string together in practice. And I think the biggest thing, number three, is something you look at guys like Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, like what's their ADOT? You know, these they're trying to manufacture touches for these guys um, really close in the line of scrimmage. And as we saw, they uh, without Kittle especially, you know, they are in real need of a guy who can be a downfield threat. And Richie James was picking up chunk gains every time. Most of the time it was down the field. Um, and if he was running after the catch, it was because he was already 20 yards down the field when he caught the ball. So he's really the only deep that I can't imagine they're going to relegate him to the bench. Maybe they trust Kendrick Bourne a little bit more as a blocker, which does matter in that run-heavy offense. But uh, I, I do think there's a little more opportunity for some splash weeks then meets the eye especially with Debo Samuel's injury history so I uh, I wouldn't be sleeping on Richie James at all I'd probably prefer a guy like Darnell Mooney uh, Mike what do you think I think Richie's very interesting um, the 49ers definitely need pass catchers right now and Richie James had 21.9 expected points and outperformed that by 11 and a half. No other 49ers pass catchers surpassed 7.3. That was Trent Taylor who finished second. So it's really a situation where 
a team needs guys to produce, needs playmakers, and Richie James stepped up, and I can't imagine that Shanahan's not going to give him more opportunity, especially with the questionable health of Samuel. So maybe we'll see Ayuk, James, and Samuel on the field together eventually when Samuel returns. But with Kittle out, there's more opportunity for the 49ers than ever before. Yeah, and, and Kittle out, you know, we said last year week it was done for the year. Um, maybe he'll return in week 14 or 15, but for this stretch run, uh, Richie James could be the downfield threat that your fantasy team needs. Why don't we transition to talking about a couple of rookie quarterbacks? And, you know, we heard rumors about the Dolphins, you know, putting the kibosh on Ryan Fitzpatrick because they know they're going to have a high draft pick. They have a Texans pick. Maybe they're thinking about, you know, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, or Trey Lance, and they want to see what they have in Tua. You know, a real, at best, inconclusive in his first week um, against the Titans. He didn't really have to do much. But this past week against the Cardinals, Mike, how do you think he looked? I think you messed up the intro there and that Tua's first week was against the Rams and he really struggled. I think he had 22 pass attempts and he just had 93 receiving yards. They were playing some ball control offense and their defense really took care of it. But it was kind of concerning that even in that situation with 22 pass attempts, he can only have 93 yards. So there was definitely concern after that kind of opener. But against the Cardinals, he was just a different player. And if he's able to combine that accuracy with the ability to scramble and add extra points on the ground, then he truly has a chance to be a special quarterback. Um, It was really fun to watch him. I think there's a lot to be excited about. And I think that there are quite a few teams this year who potentially need quarterbacks. And if you're in that situation, there's definitely worse guys to grab than Tua based on his college production and what we saw last week. There's many reasons to be excited about this guy. And the fact that he's able to be dynamic and run the football as well gives you extra upside. And it's really kind of the key for rookie running backs, rookie quarterbacks being successful in their first year. Dalton, did you see the same thing on two of that Mike saw? Yeah, and I think like I, I'm maybe willing to give him a pass for his first start because if you look at the game script of the game, their defense and special teams really put them in a position to where Tua didn't have to do much. Whereas this game, they actually had to rely on Tua and Tua showed up. He had over 10 adjusted yards per attempt, was extremely efficient. And he just looked good overall, leading him to a win right there. So he utilizes pass catchers a lot. Press Williams for going out and was having a solid game. Devontae Parker was getting some solid targets there. Even Mike Gusecki didn't have the greatest game, but he definitely had a much better bounce back than he had seen in the past there. So those are all positives that you really like to see, um, that he was able to utilize those guys and be efficient with some of them as well. So um, I think it's definitely um, very promising for Tua this year. He can be someone that in weeks can be a streamer. I would definitely add him as an upside option. If he continues to play well, um, then he can be someone that could potentially be starting each and every week for you uh, down the line. And I also think it's met worth mentioning that he looked special. It wasn't just some ability to evade and some ability to throw, but there were some Michael Vick type running through two guys, defensive players that both end up running into each other. His escapability was something that people were worried about with this hip injury coming in. And he didn't look like somebody was bothered by anything. He looked like he potentially had that Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson escapability where he's just such a special athlete that it's really difficult for defensive linemen to get a hand on him and tackle him. And if he's able to do that in just his second game 
as a pro, uh, the, the sky may be the limit for Tua. And I think most promisingly for dynasty leaguers in, that he's separate from Kyler and Lamar Jackson is that not only can he rush, but oftentimes a player like Tua will use his escapability to not run, but to avoid pressure in order to make a throw downfield instead of taking off and running with it. And, you know, I, I, after seeing his hip injury, you know, we saw something similar with Dennis Pitta where he dislocated and then he had re-dislocation, he had to retire. Um, you know, we could have seen an avascular necrosis, which is where the blood flow doesn't get to the hip joint like Bo Jackson had. I was really, really worried. But, you know, right before that happened, you know, from the time when he took over at halftime of the national championship game for Jalen Hurts and won the game to when he got hurt, there was no doubt that he would be the top pick in the draft. And it's really nice to see that he's living up to that. So Dynasty Leaguers and Dolphins fans, you look like you have a bright future ahead of you, especially if, you know, they love Tua. They have like the fourth overall picks. They have the Texans pick. And there's Justin Fields sitting there on the board. And, you know, you could probably get multiple first round picks for a team willing to trade up there. So, you know, it's looking good for Dolphins fans. I'd rather be a Dolphins than a Jets fan. Uh, speaking <laughs> of rookie quarterbacks, Dalton, where is your, uh, what, where's the Justin Herbert excitement meter for you right now? Oh, it's through the roof, man. I don't know. I don't know if I can put a cap on my excitement for Justin Herbert. I mean, just at the end of the day, like what he's doing is really special. And I tweeted out some early, um, yesterday about comparing him to Patrick Mahomes and just and just basically looking at them through the first seven games. And while he hasn't been on Patrick Mahomes level, and the reason why I use Patrick Mahomes as a guideline is because like in Jesus. reference of looking <laughs> – and looking at the top seven in their first seven starts, so like basically how you're starting career, I would say Patrick Mahomes probably has the most impressive seven game start to his career of all time of any quarterback. Deshaun Watson also up there as well. But Justin Herbert, he's not on Patrick Mahomes level just from an efficiency standpoint, but he's very close. And I think that we need to be looking at him as the next superstar quarterback that where it's, you know, we had this Brady versus Manning back in the day. Why can't it be Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes? Like, I think, like, we really do need to understand that what he's done from an efficiency standpoint and what he's done just in his first seven games as a rookie, just, like, nearly unheard of. And it just I, – I can't be more excited about his trajectory as an NFL quarterback. Can you guys remember a better year for rookie quarterbacks, like, since, like, Andrew Luck and RG3 than this year? I mean, I hope it ends better than than that did. Uh but I mean, this is this is awesome, awesome for the NFL that we're seeing that. Are there any pass catchers on the Chargers that you're looking to acquire that are underrated right now? Oh, 100 percent, Mike Williams. Um, and I think Mike Williams has been underrated for for a minute now. But the the main thing that we just been waiting on is is a quarterback to be able to consistently get him the ball and get him the ball downfield. And Justin Herbert and Mike Williams skill set um they match up fairly well if we look over the past four games he's seen at least seven targets in three of those games mind you he had one game where he only had three targets for one or seven four yards but look at the other three games he's had over five receptions and 81 yards in all three of those games with three touchdowns so he's really turning himself into like a very strong wide receiver three and could potentially push for like a wide receiver two um not only that but one also thing about Mike Williams that makes him so encouraging, not only for the rest of the season, but long-term is if we look at, um, I looked at earlier today, we look at wide receivers um, since 1992 um, and have had over 200 targets in their first 48 games, which is what Mike Williams has played. He's the sixth most efficient wide receiver in that span. And wow. for me, like 
when you're looking at efficiency early in your career, like Mike Williams, outside of his rookie year in which he was banged up, like he's been one of the, if not the most efficient wide receiver in the league since then. He's continued to do that this year, um, right around his career average. So he's just a very good player, matched up with Keenan Allen. Um, Justin Herbert has shown that he can support guys like Jalen Guyton has had splash weeks and now Mike Williams and Keenan just every single week's falling out. Like I don't see why Mike Williams can't be a wide receiver to the rest of the season. And um, not only for this season, but I think like in from dynasty purpose, like I think like Mike Williams, Herbert's going to be able to support multiple guys. What I would really like to see from the chargers is to get Mike Williams involved in some of those Keenan Allen at the line of scrimmage or five yard down the field passes where it seems that they only want to attempt passes to him when it's deep down the field. And if we can mix in some of those five yard slants or easy situations to get him going where he can kind of accumulate some fantasy points, get a rhythm and then beat the defense deep. That's really a situation where he would develop into a wide receiver two or a guy who's a weekly advantage for your fantasy team. And, you know, with Herbert, there's no reason that they can't incorporate three fantasy worthy pass catchers and maybe four, if you include a running back there. But what I was going to say before I so rudely interrupted Mike was, uh, his schedule coming up. Um, he gets Miami, which is a medium matchup in week 10. Then the Jets, A-plus matchup. Two tough ones in week 12 and 13 at Buffalo and then in New England. But then in the fantasy playoffs, he gets Atlanta, Vegas, and then Denver, who are all um, matchups to definitely attack. So, you know, when you're looking for a buy low, we got to look for a guy who has the, the opportunity, but just the regression hasn't hit for him yet. And Mike Williams has been really, really close. You know, of course, you have that explosion when Keenan was out a few weeks ago. But since then, one for four, five for 99 and touchdown, five for 81. But as you said, Dalton, most importantly, eight targets, three targets, eight targets, seven targets. And the latter two have been come with Keenan Allen completely healthy. So I am all in on a Mike Williams buy, especially if you're a team that is gearing up for the playoffs and you kind of secured a berth. No point in waiting any longer to acquire him if your trade deadline hasn't passed, at least. Uh, why don't we move on to our penultimate segment, which is a discussion I think is long overdue, unfortunately. What the hell is going on with the Baltimore Ravens? You know, we saw so many things before the year about we got to have Marcus Brown, got to have Andrews. Of course, like the process on that was all good, but what hasn't happened? Like what's, what's so different, like drastically different to last year? I think across the board, they're down in terms of pass attempts and in terms of passing efficiency. I mean, um, and the passing has been extremely rough. I think it's pretty obvious Lamar Jackson has regressed as a passer, unfortunately. And then they haven't been able to run like last year. I think that from the outset, they planned to make sure that Lamar Jackson had some sort of longevity and to pass more and to run less. So Lamar isn't getting beat up. And what ended up happening is they weren't as effective passing and the transition hasn't gone so smoothly. And now they kind of really need to reincorporate Lamar as a rusher. And I think the other issue is 
they're falling behind in games. And when they fall behind in games and they have to pass, they've really struggled to do so. The Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews production seems to come in neutral game situations where the defense needs to be prepared for them running and maybe they're surprised by a pass attempt. When you're in a situation that you have to pass and the defense is not allowing Marquise Brown or Mark Andrews an easy look, it's not working out so well. And Lamar has really struggled. And I'm not sure that this is going to change. I hope that the Ravens are able to coach through it. But I think that in terms of weekly consistency, you probably have to start Andrews if you drafted him because of the landscape of tight end. Marquise Brown, I think, is very concerning. He needs those deep balls to hit. They haven't been hitting. Um, and I'm not sure that you want to bet on them hitting each week going forward. So Dobbins is the one guy who hopefully there's a situation where the Ravens realize that he is their best running back and they give him more of a workload and he becomes a reliable running back too. But when you enter these situations where Mark Ingram is out and at the goal line, they want to run Gus Edwards three out of three times and not put Dobbins on the field, you begin to question whether the Ravens coaching staff prefers Dobbins, if they only prefer him in situations that aren't at the goal line. Um, So I think all of those are very concerning for pretty much all of the Ravens. And let's look at the, the, um, the players who have more passing yards than Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Nick Foles, Kirk Cousins, Gardner Minshew, Dak Prescott still has 350 more passing yards than Lamar Jackson does. And Daniel Jones, all of more passing yards than Lamar Jackson. The touchdown regression was something we knew was coming, but oh my, maybe not to this degree. Um, where do we have to put Marquise Brown in terms like who are you starting him over nowadays? I mean, does he have to show it now? Or you continue to plug him in and just hope he's going to get one of those huge Deshaun Jackson-like games. I I honestly don't know what the answer is to someone like Marquise Brown. Yeah, I think the concern is initially you drafted Marquise Brown to be your wide receiver three, and you were excited about his game-breaking ability. And now you get to a situation where many of the guys who were drafted after him, two off the top of my head um, that I was kind of attacking late in drafts, are Mike Williams and Christian Kirk. And both of those guys at this point, just based on their team's production, I I don't know how you don't start those guys over. If we can assume that Herbert's going to throw for 300 yards and Lamar Jackson's only going to throw for 170, Marquise Brown has to do so much to overcome that in terms of the percentage of production. And the same is true for Kyler Murray and Christian Kirk. So you enter a situation where their team passing production is so low And it's so unreliable that if you have other guys who are, I guess, questionable wide receiver threes, you may be starting them over Marquise Brown, who you drafted much higher. And the Andrews thing. I mean, Andrews has 4.1 points, 5.2 and 5.2 points his past three weeks. Um, Somehow not losing you games at tight end. But Dalton, how are you treating these, uh, the Brown and Andrews, especially going forward? I mean, you have no choice but to start Andrews, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really tough, honestly, because we're at this point now where Lamar Jackson has essentially turned into first and second year Josh Allen, where he can barely throw the ball. And he's had one game this year over 210 passing yards. So for Lamar Jackson to be able to support guys like Marquise Brown and Andrews, it's 
unfortunately, this is not the year where he's able to support both of them. Like, it's going to be one or the other in a game, or you're really hoping for a touchdown out of these guys to really get some bankable production. Um, and it, it's it's really hard because I think if we – I've looked over the last – you look over the last uh, – since week five, guys like Anthony Ferkser, Dalton Schultz, Eric Ebron – even Gerald Everett have scored more fantasy points than Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is not even in the top 12 of fantasy scoring. He has 131 yards over his last four games and 14 receptions. Like, like at this point, like when we're talking about, like, I don't even think it's crazy if you're starting guys like um, Hayden Hurst over him. I think even Eric Ebron is a guy like Mark Andrews right now. Like that's a conversation we have to be having. Like, like, it's, it's not that Mark Andrews isn't talented, but we haven't seen anything recently to suggest that Mark Andrews is anything more than a touchdown-dependent tight end for the season. Like, that's what that's how much that he's regressed, and you really hate to see that. Like, you hate to see such a talented tight end as good as Andrews has been historically through the first couple of years of his career. But, I mean, that's just, that's just where we are right now um, with this Ravens offense. And, um, unfortunately, like, if I have options, like Mike said, with Christian Kirk or Mike Williams, like, like unfortunately, it may be time to ride the pine if you do have other options um, for these guys. And it's even concerning that somebody like Jacoby Myers, you could probably pick up over the waiver wire yeah. and, and put together a pretty decent argument as to why you should start him over Marquise Brown. I'm not aware of either's matchups going forward, but it, it almost feels as if you can assume that Myers is going to get more volume than Marquise Brown has received. And those targets just aren't as valuable. Those, you know, you could argue that, you know, six or seven Lamar Jackson targets are more valuable than 10 Cam Newton on the Patriots targets. But Lamar hasn't been that guy this year. I mean, speaking of Mark Andrews, his yardage output, they used to get him going down the field a little bit. But now 58, 29, 22, 57, 56, 21, 32, 22. That's his yardage output. Um and that is- I still have visions of the Titans playoff game where he had 130 receiving yards or whatever it was, where Lamar Jackson totaled 500 plus total yards. And it just seems that those days of the Ravens, at least for this moment, are gone. And I don't know how suddenly they get going and firing on all cylinders. It's no, really fair to question whether last year will go down as the best year of Lamar Jackson's career. Oh, I would uh, bet on that at this point. I mean, it must. You see people like Lamar Jackson, like really talented runners who are streaky passers, and the offense is tailored exactly to them. We saw this a little bit with Tebow, mostly with like Michael Vick and RG3. Um, once NFL defenses have had, a, have had a year of tape to figure out what they're doing, it's a lot more difficult to repeat the exact same stuff that you were doing a year ago and not innovate a little bit more. Rest of the season. Just for redraft, Lamar Jackson or Justin Herbert? Oh my God, this is easy question of all time, Justin Herbert. Wow. Mike? I'd probably go Herbert too, but I don't see it as, as easy as Dalton. I think that Lamar is going to regress to the mean and get going a little bit, and his rushing production is just so valuable. But the way that Herbert's been playing, it's hard to doubt the guy. Yeah, and uh, I, I'd probably take Herbert as well, but um, just it's definitely a question and you know if you were to say this on draft day people you know one of the most unbelievable things this season is just the Lamar, the Lamar Jackson team win rates are going to be in the toilet 
Um, so I don't want to another that. lesson. Don't take quarterbacks early, although Mahomes has been pretty good. Why don't we end the show by talking about our favorite position in football and projecting ahead to next year? Because I know we all have some teams that are ready for next year for sure. Um, so our top three wide receivers for 2021. Now, guys, you want to do this by your favorites? You want to do it by who you think the top three will be in ADP? I think we do it by who we rank as our top three wide receivers. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Um, why don't we lead off with Mike? So I will start. I'll do one and I'll start and then we can debate after other people go. I think at, at this point, you have to assume that the number one wide receiver for 2021 drafts is Devontae Adams. Over the last three weeks, he has outputs of 44.6. 30.3 and 33.3. Despite only playing, uh, missing two games this season, he's only behind Tyreek Hill and Metcalf in scoring. And he's only 0.3 behind Metcalf. And he scored uh, less than seven fewer points than Tyreek Hill. So basically, he could be the wide receiver one despite missing two games and already having his bye. Per game, he has outscored Tyreek Hill by almost nine points per game. So he would be my number one. It's almost like he's the Josh uh, 2014 version of Josh Gordon, but this year, just whenever he's on the field, or like the Odell Beckham when in his rookie year. Um, yeah, I, I don't see how you can't take Devontae number one. You're getting, you know, him and Rodgers clearly have a mind meld. I mean, if you're going to be catching 10 balls a game, you're basically, Devontae Adams is like having a really good quarterback in your wide receiver spot. So I don't see how it can be anyone but Devontae. Dalton, do you agree or you have someone else at number one? As much as I want to go against the grain here and have some hot take, like I just think that that would just be a bad take at the end of the day, and I don't know if I can throw one out here. So I think I think even regardless, even if they get a wide receiver two there in Green Bay, whether it's free agency or um, through the draft, I still think Devontae is just going to be a massive target hog, and he's been efficient with that. So I can't I can't go against that. So why don't you start off on your number two then? All right, this is where the fun begins, boys. Uh, we're throwing AJ Brown out there at number two. Shocker. Had to do it, um, but it's it's not it's not only um, that I I just absolutely love the guy, but he has just been awesome. If we look at since week five, which is when he came back from his injury, he has been number three in uh, fantasy points behind Devonta Adams and Julio Jones. And um, if we look at him tracing all the way back until the end of or right when he started seeing full time starter snaps in the NFL, which was week 12 last year um we extrapolate that out to this year he has been number two in fantasy points per game since then he's had at least seven targets in every single game and he's continued to be efficient as well so like even though he's in a run first offense ryan Tannehill's played just as well um as he did last year and aj brown is playing um not as efficient as he was last year but with the more volume well, that's not possible <laughs> But he's he's been amazing, and he's still continue to get better. So I don't see why he won't be he can't be a top three receiver next year. Mike, who's your number two? Um, I think you could argue to take DK Metcalf over AJ Brown, but I certainly understand that AJ Brown. I mean, the cast of characters that we're talking about who are included kind of in this zone 
would be Tyreek Hill, obviously paired with Mahomes. Stephon Diggs has been incredible. Tyler Lockett deserves an honorable mention. And then I think Hopkins and Keenan Allen are probably the only other two in contention. At this point in time, with the age of Lockett, the age of Hopkins, the age of Keenan Allen, also Julio Jones should be involved in this conversation. And his age also kind of concerns me. So I'm I'm with Dalton on AJ Brown. The question for me is whether he's two or three. I would probably, gun to my head, take DK Metcalf 2 and AJ Brown 3. I think that Metcalf this year so far is number two in points per game behind only Devontae Adams. And with Russell Wilson and his deep ball accuracy, it's hard for me to envision a scenario without an injury to Russell Wilson or DK Metcalf where he doesn't continue to dominate the league and be a wide receiver one. He's just... He's unreal, and he delivers every week. He has league-winning weeks. He's involved, except for the Cardinals game, every single week. And when we're looking at A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf, they're two guys that, going into year three, we may see them get even better. Um, And those are really the two guys that I would like to bet on at the top of drafts next year. Um, Yeah, D.K. is my favorite wide receiver to watch. just traded him away in my uh, in my biggest league, and that that really hurt. But I still root for the guy every week. I I'm actually gonna zig a little bit here and say, you know, Metcalf and AJ Brown, both sophomores, as as we established for the year, the only time we can bank on increased volume is rookie to sophomore year. I'm gonna go with Tyreek Hill as my wide receiver too, because the thing I think we were mostly waiting on is to see if he could perform without those long touchdowns. Um, I don't think he's at a 50-yard touchdown this year and he's the wide receiver one this year by points. So it, he's he's a, like a real red zone threat now. Like he catches multiple touchdowns. He's got multiple touchdowns inside the 10-yard line. And when you're attached to Patrick Mahomes, Kelsey's going to be a year older, maybe to get Hardman a little bit more involved next year. But, you know, Tyreek Hill is still he's, – he's not close to 30 yet. Um, I, I would have to take him as my wide receiver too you know you're going to get 80 to 85 catches for 1,400 yards and maybe 13-plus touchdowns. So um, that's that's who my wide receiver uh, two is. So why don't I go again for wide receiver three? And I do want to go Metcalf or A.J. Brown, but I'm going to go with Calvin Ridley um, because I think he could contend to see the most targets in the NFL next year with Julio Jones a year older. Can't imagine this Atlanta defense is going to be much better. Um, and you know, taking his the second half of last year and the beginning of this year into account before he sprained his foot, I mean, he was a top three wide receiver in the league, and I just don't see why that shouldn't continue. I don't think his ceiling is as high as someone with Metcalf or AJ Browns because of his physical limitations compared to them. Um, but I think in terms of just pure volume and also being a smaller red zone threat like Tyreek. I just don't think you can go wrong with Ridley. Uh, Mike, why don't you go for your number three? Yeah, my number three is A.J. Brown. So I'm going (laughs) Devontae Adams, Metcalf, A.J. Brown. Um, I mean, I get the Tyreek Hill argument. I'm totally with it. And and I agree that Ridley's name deserves to be in the conversation. I just, a lot of these guys, Diggs, I think, benefited a lot from a situation where He's now featured in the offense in the Antonio Brown role that we kind of dreamed about during the offseason. It's actually come to life. Um, So I think that's the reason for him benefiting at this stage of his career. And the other guys, I mean, Tyreek Hill is not that far off of how he's produced in other years. Devontae Adams, obviously he's doing more, but 
it's kind of that same role where we've seen him just be Aaron Rodgers' guy. So if we're going to see an increase in production, I think that it's going to come from DK or AJ Brown, and I'm looking for the guy who's going to win me the fantasy league. Um, so if somebody else outside of Devontae Adams is going to reach 25 fantasy points uh, per game, I think that my money is on AJ Brown or DK Metcalf. Yeah, I get it. Maybe the Titans install, you know, Arthur Smith is going to be a hot head coaching candidate this offseason. I'm sure he'll leave, unfortunately, for me and my Titans. Um, maybe they install a guy who's much more spread pass heavy guy who then maybe we can see A.J. Brown seeing the target volume, maybe 140, 150 plus would be nice. How about you, Dalton? Who's your wide receiver three? Is it DK? Oof. Um, as much as I wanted to put someone like Tyreek Hill in my top three, I don't think I could. This really came down to this really came down to two players for me, and um, I went DK Metcalf over Keenan Allen because I think Keenan is going to be a year older. Keenan has I, I just do want to say this for Keenan Allen real quick. Um, he has seen over ten targets in he's so good in every single game other than when he got hurt in so far, and he's had at least seven receptions in every game with Justin Herbert. So like. He's going to be a year older, which obviously hurts his case for his DK Metcalf. But I do want to point out that he has been freaking unf- unbelievable. And DK Metcalf, I, I just have to go with DK because of a lot of the reasons that Mike mentioned. Um, he's tied to Russell Wilson. And we've seen over the past four games, he's really seen an uptick in targets as well. They're utilizing him in a lot of different ways. And he's a touchdown machine. Like um, He really checks every single box that we're looking for. And he's still, uh, he's still only 22 years old. So... He's only going to get better, and um, I don't see why he can't continue this type of production onto the next year. Yeah, I mean, always the contrarian. I, I tried not to put those guys up there, but it was it was, it was was really hard. I mean, it gunned in my head, maybe I do have to take DK just because I love watching him so much. Um, honorable mentions, though, Keenan Allen is just so good. Um, I do think that maybe another year of Hopkins deserves consideration. Any other honorable mentions you guys want to throw in? Um, it would be nice to see somebody like uh, Terry McLaurin kind of be in yes. that conversation. I don't yes. know that he's here, there yet. I think the other guys have a little bit more in their favor, especially when it comes to quarterback play. Um, but he definitely has the talent and has shown the production to be mentioned in that category. Um, but if Alex Smith is his quarterback, then I probably have to bet against him being a wide receiver one or a top five wide receiver uh, in 2021. Guys, we're going to have a lot uh, to talk about next year with uh, – sorry, Dalton, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I, I think we're forgetting about uh, Michael Thomas a little bit over here as well. So I think he, just, <laughs> I think he at least at least deserves an honorable mention. Yeah, it's just you have to bank on volume with him. Like, he's, he's incredible, but I, I don't know how much longer this Breeze stuff is going to last. And he's not as young as we think, and maybe we chase someone – with just a tad more upside. What I was going to say is we are in for another offseason of hyping up sophomore wide receivers. You know, what, Ayuk, Claypool, Jefferson, um, who, who, I mean, I'm Higgins. missing a few. Higgins, of course, you know. We are in Lamb. for a fun offseason, gentlemen. It's yeah, nice. Lamb. Yeah, that is, uh, you know, we're going to be back on that hype train once again. Um, that is all we got for you in this episode of the Apex fantasy football podcast stick with it playoffs are almost here we're through nine weeks getting to the double digit weeks stay diligent on the waiver wire and thank you so much for choosing to listen to our show